This is Jason Thomas. Thanks for joining us today at the Hardway MBA interview series, where we interview real business leaders, people who grind it out every day to get a job done and are gracious enough to share their hard-earned insights with us to further our real-world business education. I'm Jason Thomas. Welcome to the Hardway MBA, where we empower ambitious corporate professionals. That's you, right? With real-world business knowledge. We interview business leaders who are gracious enough to share their strategic insights and tactical activities to improve your business and career. If you enjoy these interviews, please spread the word because nothing says thank you as well as a referral to your friends and colleagues. Now let's dive in. Welcome, welcome, folks. Jason Thomas with the Hardway MBA. Very excited to introduce you to my guest today, Steve Fallick. Uh, Steve and I go a long way back. In fact, Steve was inspirational in me starting the Hardway MBA uh, back when I was with Manning Search Group when Steve and I met. I had a master's, uh, still do have a master's in professional counseling and was thinking about going back for a master's in business administration. And Steve uh, advised me, look, work hard. Uh, pay attention, take hard assignments, learn on the job. You'll end up with as much knowledge as you need to to go where you want to go. Don't spend the time and money on an MBA at this point in your career. And that was uh, it was invaluable for me. So without further ado, uh, let me introduce you to Steve Fallick. Steve, please take a moment and introduce yourself to us and uh, let us know what you're up to. Certainly. First of all, uh, thanks for asking uh, me to participate in, in, in this uh, endeavor of yours. Um, the uh, you, you asked the question, uh, you know, to, to give you a brief uh, rundown of, of myself, uh, graduated uh, from a technical uh, university with a degree in engineering and spent the first 25 years of my career with General Electric. Uh, after a few uh, assignments in uh, management consulting, third-party logistics. Uh, I ended up spending about a, oh, 10 years or so uh, leading uh, parts and service operations for a couple of Caterpillar uh, construction equipment and power systems uh, 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 dealerships. Uh, based on that experience and, and the fact that as a people and process guy, I really like the idea of Figuring out where the business organization that I was part of was going, in other words, strategically, what did we want to accomplish, and then comparing the talent in place to uh, uh, accomplish those goals, and then going out, uh, if there were gaps, uh, either uh, closing those gaps by redefining uh, the uh, assignments of the people in the organization, uh, or going out and recruiting new, new talent. Uh, that uh, idea of matching uh, talents to organizational needs is what drove me towards uh, uh, becoming an executive search consultant. So that's a little bit about my background and, and how I got there. Does that answer your question? It absolutely does. Uh, so you spent 25 years at the beginning of your career with, uh, with GE. The first thing that strikes me is coming out of a, uh, you know, a technical school, how do you land with GE? 
uh, kind of an interesting story. Let, let's let's just say that I had a at the time there was a thing called the Vietnam War going on, and yes. uh, I had a ch- I had a choice uh, of uh, having a you know a number that would have had me in the army by Christmas in terms of the draft lottery, uh, or if there was another way that I could find to uh, better utilize my talents. Uh, I, I looked for it, and GE at the time was operating uh, a business uh, that had essentially one customer. The name of the business, by the way, was the Knowles Atomic Power Laboratory, and it is still that laboratory is still in existence. And it did uh, oh two things. Uh, the first was it designed and procured uh, nuclear reactors for the United States Navy, and generated a lot of test data for what was then uh, what, well, what is now the Department of Energy. Uh, and the second thing they did was they qualified uh, and ran training programs for the naval personnel that actually operated this facility. Uh, so uh, uh, that was that seemed like it was appealing. And I spent, uh, oh, 10 or 11 years there as uh, uh, working as a, uh, an engineer in, manuf- in manufacturing and also uh, actually uh, procuring some of the uh, cores, uh, notably uh, the ones that I worked on were eventually put into aircraft carriers. Uh, the, the, that, that basic design is still being uh, utilized in our fleet today, as well as uh, Ohio-class uh, uh, submarines. Interesting. I didn't realize that. Uh, I didn't realize you'd worked that much in in the nuclear world. Uh, yeah, it was it was an interesting uh, place because it was uh, yes, GE operated it, the the, the business. Uh, but everything that went on in terms of um, how you accomplish things uh, was, uh, you know, in, in accordance with all the federal procurement regulations. And we were very closely monitored both uh, technically as well as uh, business practice wise by uh, uh, the United States government. Great training ground in, in uh, how to get things done. The, despite the bureaucratic obstacles that were put in front of you. Right. And I would imagine GE expected you to get things done, uh, you know, quite despite the the government bureaucracy. And, and because of the government bureaucracy, they needed you to get things done. Well, you know, it was a, a after a, after my time with the Knowles, of Power, Knowles Atomic Power Laboratory, I transitioned to more of the commercial side. Uh-huh. And all I can tell you was you can't believe how different it was. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, or I couldn't believe how different it was. And for me, it was it was better. Um, you know, I'm reminded of a, of a story uh, that someone else remind told me about uh, uh, that, that, that I met recently that I used to work with it, when I first left the uh, the naval nuclear program where in order to do anything, you needed to write letters of justification and get management approval to do things. Uh, you know, it was, it, like I said, it was, a, it was a lesson on, you know, the best way to get things done was to figure out what all the rules were and make sure that you followed them. That way, people didn't ask you to redo a lot of work. Um, and by the way, I think that's probably the correct approach for the nuclear business because it's a business that has proceeded without incident for its entire history. Uh, but as, as you move toward the regular side of uh, GE and, and kind of the point of my story was uh, 
I was uh, managing a construction project, building a, a power plant in Venezuela, and we sent some additional GE people to oversee the con- construction in country, and they needed transportation. Um, and I, you know, said to my boss, gee, I'm, you know, I'm relatively new here. Um, and, uh, uh, we need as, as planned, we need to buy some vehicles, uh, you know, cars for transportation and a pickup truck, mm-hmm. things like that. And I said, you know, what are the rules to go get these things? What have I got to do? And he said, are they in your budget? I said, yes. He says, well, buy the damn things. <laughs> yeah. There's your rules. <laughs> yeah, there's your rules. Uh, you know, uh, go, go, ahead, go ahead and do it. So, uh, you know, that was kind of the the uh, the, the striking uh, differential. Uh, the GE management practices were, you know, the same in both cases, but the way that you lived every day and and uh, the what 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 I'll ca- what what I'll tell you is that the true meaning of a performance based culture. Uh, which I think is a way I would characterize GE, uh, you know, came to bear after I made that transition from, you know, working in a in, in, in a business that supported the government versus one that, uh, uh, you, you know, was uh, there essentially to make money. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about the management practices at, at GE um, while you were there. What, uh, as you look back, if you – if you had to point towards one or two or a handful of things that you learned then that you still see as relevant or still in practice today, whether you're practicing them or whether you're seeing, you know, some of the people you're placing in, in executive uh, positions still practicing these efforts or practicing these uh, disciplines or, or management principles that are still extraordinarily effective, that you saw GE, whether it was pioneering or could be given the stage of your career you were in was pioneering to you at the time. Oh, that's a, that's a really good point. Yes, it was pioneering to me. And it was my first experience with a performance based culture that held also held people responsible for behaviors that were in conformance with the local culture. Uh, And, and by, by that, I mean, you know, they, they really, GE really um, impressed on its people, uh, me including me, you know, the need for integrity, the need for openness, uh, the values that they had for for teamwork. And in a very GE way, they had a very interesting way of simplifying where you were in that spectrum. Um, and 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 uh, they, you know, the fir- it was the first time I saw. A very simple two by two matrix. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you can draw yourself a box with four squares in it, yeah. You know, in the upper left hand corner uh, or on the axis, you know, one was, you know, do you live the values, and the other is do you deliver performance. So mm-hmm. in one of those boxes, you delivered performance and you live the values. If if you happen to be evaluated in place in that box, your future was golden. Uh, if you, you know, were evaluated as doesn't deliver financial performance and doesn't live the values, um, you got to look for another job. Yep. And, and if you fell in the other two boxes, one of which was you live the values, but didn't have performance 
or you had performance but didn't live the values, you got at least one more chance. Yeah. And, you, you know, you were held accountable and everybody knew what the rules were. And, uh, uh, you know, that that in a way kind of summarizes uh, that. And, you know, part of those values was that, you know, leaders really do succeed by mentoring other leaders. You know, that 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 was living. That's a way I, I would characterize looking backwards uh, what it meant to live by the values. And how did you uh, mentoring other leaders? So we all want to succeed. How do you go about mentoring other leaders? I mean, mentoring an individual performer, mentoring someone to do the job that's in front of them is is one thing. Mentoring someone into leadership is uh, another challenge. I, I think the key to mentoring is. Uh, a combination of a setting expectations, b uh, making sure by just asking open-ended questions, does the person really understand those expectations? Is there a good understanding of you know the the value system that is that, that is in place? Uh, and th- then by delegating enough responsibility and letting people do it their way, and I, and I guess. Uh, 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 you know, there was a there was a president who is uh, who articulated very, very, very well where named Ronald Reagan, who said, you, you know, uh, trust, but verify. Right. Yeah. Uh, and th- that's really that mentoring process. And the idea was, you, you know, uh, people do learn from things that don't go 100 percent the way they expect it. The question and, and, and value you have as a mentor is to make sure that those learning experience is where, where, where less than success was achieved, uh, you know, weren't career ending move. And it was clear that, you know, you know, uh, violating the values, violating the, you know, just common sense business practices like, you know, you, you, you don't accept kickbacks from uh, uh, customers and you, you don't bribe government you know, people along the way to get to clear the path for you. Right. You know, those those kinds of things. Um, separation from your employment was instantaneous. Right. If, that, if that's if that's where you if that's where you went. So, you know, those were the kinds. So you wanted to make it very clear that that was not, you know, failing to live up to the expectations in those areas was not was not going to be a learning experience. And that allowed you to continue with GE. Right, right. <clears throat> failing in other areas, failing to deliver precisely the results you were after, uh, you can learn from that and move on and your career is intact. You just have a, a project that's overrun by some time that, and, that, and maybe that, some money. That, that's, that, that, that's, that's very true. And, and uh, uh, you, you know, uh, uh, for not everybody hits a home run every time they get up to the plate. Right, absolutely. So you said something towards the beginning of that uh, explanation that I want to go back to because it sounds different than I would have expected for, you know, the early 80s, I'm, I'm guessing here. Um, okay. I don't want to I don't want to date you, but um, the uh, in conformance with local culture. So as as I hear that, I'm thinking you're talking about uh, construction project in Venezuela 
So you're going into South America and your the people that are there in country are are practicing working within the culture of that country and you know observing their the cultural norms down there not forcing the project into uh, an american time frame or an american i don't I, I, what we would think of as the way this project ought to be run yeah, yeah. Uh, how, how does that balance with you know, GE has a budget and a, a project timeline that it's going to get built and it's going get, to get built pretty close to on time. But, you know, one of the lessons learned is that as you as you grow in more take on more responsibility, have greater leadership roles in, in, a, in, in, a, in, a, in a business or, you know, think of any organizations. One of the things that are important. Uh, or one of the characteristics that many of those higher level people have is a higher tolerance for ambiguity. Mm-hmm. So if you worked in a place like Venezuela or you worked in a place like Indonesia uh, where uh, payoffs to government officials was a way of life. Right. Um, you still had to get your job done. And if you did that, for GE business, because that violated the, the cultural values, you were not going, uh, you know, it was, it, that was not the right behavior. Right. So how do you get your job done with it, you know, and understand where the local customs have to be followed as well as, um, the, uh, um, and and we're melded, and those are, those are the judgments that that you had to make. And what was pr- particularly interesting about that is that when you worked overseas, those cultural differences seem to be more obvious. But if you look at the size of uh, the continental United States, there are as many differences in culture as you go from region to region in, in the United States uh, that are that, that are different. I mean. Think of the think. Think of asking a question, uh, you, you know, in a in a in a typical northeastern kind of a way. Mm-hmm. You, you know, uh, if somebody says something that you don't quite agree with, uh, you, and I know I've I think I've used this example with you before. Uh, you know, you're likely to say, "What are you nuts?" Right. Okay. In the Midwest, that might be a little too confrontational, and you know, the the, the people in St. Louis or Indianapolis where I've worked at various times, might be more likely to say, could you say more about that? And if you yeah. were in Atlanta, you'd, you'd smile and say, how nice. <laughs> right. Uh, so it's, you know, those those kinds of behaviors allow you, I think, to communicate better with the uh, pe- people. Uh, and, you know, that's that's part of recognizing that as part of the lessons that you do get to learn and, you know, making errors there might impede you from a business performance point of view. But those are the lessons that if you, you think about, you know, as to, you know, what's behind, what were some of the root causes of some of the difficulties that they are, they are more likely to be learnable right. next situations. Sure. And, and that, that all got reflected in, in uh, that performance management system that we talked about. Yeah, so that's another that's another big topic I'd like to to touch on for a minute here. 
Um, the performance management system that you talked to me about at GE, you know, when, when, when you and I met, I had very little experience with, uh, any, anything of the business world. So, uh, hearing about that, that system that GE used that I think today Microsoft and Yahoo uh, have used at various times in the last five or 10 years. Um, and they're calling it stack ranking. Um, I don't know what GE called it, but the, uh, the, I'm going to ask you to kind of explain that practice and make sure that I'm characterizing that correctly. And I'd love to get your take on it. Is it, is it a good way to, to run a business long term? Are there situations where it makes sense and somewhere it doesn't? You've had an opportunity to implement it in uh, a couple of different organizations. I wonder where you have and where you haven't. Um, well, let me let me talk a little bit, bit. I think that's a great topic, and I think the current snapshot of forced ranking, mm-hmm. whatever it's called, whatever else it's called today, is uh, a picture taken at a given point in time, and to best understand it maybe some of the background and how I saw it develop um, from the fir- very beginning of the time that I went to, to, to GE, as I said, it was a performance based culture and you were evaluated uh, not only on your performance in a job, but also uh, they f- had a rather formal career development assessment. Mm-hmm. And that took place uh, annually uh, it was one of four major milestones where at the vice president level, you got to review every salaried person that reported directly or indirectly to that vice president. I mean, that was an organized way of reviewing, assessing, uh, developing talent within the organization. And when I first was exposed to the to the process uh people were evaluated as being uh high potentials which meant you could get promoted through two layers of management uh or 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 the next step down was promotable or you were rated as fully satisfactory in the job you were in and probably not promotable but available to serve in that job and available for lateral moves for further development and then there were two more categories that, uh, uh, you know, bordered on not satisfactory. And the other one said, does this person really belong in the organization? Right, right. Okay. And what happened there, uh, I think, was that uh, people used the first three categories very, very well. And there wasn't anybody that was identified that said, you don't belong here. Mm-hmm. Because managers said, well, I don't hire jerks. I don't hire people that don't belong. Right. Okay. Now, yeah, there are some people who could do better than others, and I can fix that. And I think what happened was that to force managers to do more critical thinking about the organization and to get it, well, who's really at the bottom of the organization, this idea of force ranking from top to bottom within those, using those categories as, as basic guides, um, and, and uh, you know, figuring out what to do. Now, I will tell you in those discussions with the vice presidents, who in turn had similar discussions with the, uh, the CEO and chairman about people, um, you know, the, the bulk of the conversations really turned to those people who were viewed as high potential 
and those people who ought to move out of the organization. And I think that the way the, 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 the forced ranking was really used was in the spirit of continuous improvement. Um, if we're going to get better, we want to have the best possible people. And, you, you know, the, 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 the original idea is if you were considered in that bottom 10 to 20 percent, uh, you, you got a year to, to get it fixed. If you were in that for more than one time, the manager was obligated to take some kind of an action. Uh, and that action could be leave GE or leave the organization that you were in because maybe you were just in the wrong job where you couldn't make a contract, where the contribution required wasn't a good match for the talents that you brought to the job. Mm-hmm. Um, how that's been transposed is that we're going to fire the bottom 20% of the organization, I think is an overly harsh characteristic. Right. Um, and when you couple that with the fact that, you know, as you went through the 80s and 90s and businesses are required to kind of reinvent themselves uh-huh. to be in better alignment with their customers. And very often they downsize or restructure to take cost out. It's that bottom part of the organization, the people that are asked to leave. Yeah. I- uh, so, I, you know, do, do I... Do, do I think that it, it is a, sometimes painted unfairly in the, in, in the press? Yes. But those decisions have to be made if businesses are going to survive. If businesses are going to continue uh, to be viable as we move into the future and their outside influence, the things that they're designed to change, their markets change. Um. If I made buggy whips today, I probably wouldn't have very, you know, the same market I might have had 100 years ago. Right. Um, given that that's the case, I think this kind of a framework provides a rational approach to making those decisions as opposed to any other approach that is less fact based and, and, and uh, uh, dr- driven. Yeah. I, I mean, what I see in the in the press today, not so much about GE, but about some of the other folks that I hear about using this practice today. Microsoft, who was in the press for eliminating it uh, last year, and Yahoo uh, for starting the practice, is they really characterized it not as uh, continuous improvement, uh, which I'm I fully agree. Continue, we're all trying to get better every day. That's what this. That's what this phone call is about. That's what this whole uh, uh, this whole endeavor for me is about: is getting a little bit better every day. Um, the the idea that we're gonna we're gonna force rank people and then the bottom ten or twenty percent are gone immediately, I think, is where the problem is. And if that's how it's being practiced, then that's 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 a problem. I mean, you should you should eliminate people that don't match your culture quickly and that don't perform. Maybe not quite as quickly, but you know, I don't believe that they need to hang around for a long time. But giving them a chance to improve and whatever the time frame is, I wonder if, as I'm kind of rambling here, the thought occurs to me that, you know, turnaround cycles have uh, have decreased. The idea of giving someone a year to improve at a Yahoo where, you know, they have a month to get better or, the you know, their stock price is going to get killed – 
Um, I wonder if that kind of pressure pushes organizations today to make those decisions more quickly than humans can actually change their behavior. Uh, couple things. Uh, one of the things that, that I was part of the value system at GE was that where somebody stood, although it might have been evaluated once a year, should never come as a surprise. In other yeah. words, I think, I think if you wait a year to tell somebody, here's the gaps between where you need to be and where you are, you're doing yourself, the business, and that individual a disservice. Completely. So I think that, you know, feedback when things aren't going well or there's evidence of a bad decision ought to be immediate. And only the business can, can say how they uh, evolve a culture that says you got a month to fix this or you got a, um, a, a year to fix this. Right. Obviously, if you're looking at financial performance, uh, some amount of time is required. If you're looking at individual behaviors, uh, did you ever work for somebody who felt that the best way to communicate was to, and to show a sense of urgency was to yell? Uh, yeah, I've been fortunate enough to avoid those kind of uh, folks okay. for most of my career. Well, <laughs> use, use, use your imagination. Uh-huh. Um, you know, if I've met very, very few people who would choose that as the environment in which to work. Yep. Okay. Uh, if you happen to be one of those people who bully, yell, and abuse people, I, I think that you know if that's a behavior that you, you observe in a in, in a colleague, you ought to point it out to them and and just to strongly say you, you know if you if you can't correct that, maybe your style doesn't fit here. Yeah. Okay. And those are the kinds of things that I think are correctable. Uh, with some help over a relatively shorter period of time. No, that's right. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, my individual behavior, I can change pretty quickly. The behavior or the, the outcomes that I'm trying to get for the organization uh, by their nature takes some time. Um, it's a great point. Um, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I, the only thing I was going to add is, so the, the idea of what put that person in the, in that bottom 20%, that's what's important. Um, and you, you know, peeling that onion back and then finding out how it can be fixed before you say, here's what the solution is, is a, is, is, is really, uh, all that, that's what that mentoring and that's what that true leadership is about. Um, and seeing if we can turn where there those gaps in the learning experiences. Right. Wonderful. So, Steve, thanks for sharing some time or some thoughts about your, your work with GE. I, we don't have a lot of time left here. I would, I would love to know, uh, kind of for those listening, if you can give us a couple minutes on what you're doing right now and, uh, and, you know, if there's anything that you're, you'd like to, you know, talk more about and, and share with folks who, who may listen. I don't know. Maybe you've got it. Maybe you've got a really hot placement and you're looking for a, uh, a VP of operations or, or something. I don't know. I'm putting words in your mouth here. Um, anything we can do for you, anything that, uh, that you're looking for today that, uh, you'd like to get out there. Um, 
I have a couple of searches going on, but I but I think that uh, um, I really don't have anything else to, to add in, in in that that score. Uh-huh. I appreciate the give and take of the dialogue that we've had, and if there's anything else that uh, I could do to help, I'd welcome the opportunity. Steve, I really appreciate it. Hey, folks, Jason Thomas again. If you're still listening, you're part of a very small and special group of people to me. You listen all the way to the end of a podcast, and that is great. You may enjoy uh, our being a part of our Dean's List. You can go to hardwaymba.com, sign up for that. It gives you a couple of things. One, it's access to our very best content that we ever put out. Two, I, it, it's your way to communicate with me about topics you'd like to hear, uh, guests you'd like to hear interviewed. Uh, please Go to hardwaymba.com, join that. The other big favor I will ask of you is go to iTunes, uh, subscribe and download every episode you can get your hands on. It really helps us here in the early phases of this podcast uh, raise our, our, our rankings, get into that new and noteworthy section. We've only got a few weeks to do it. So if you can share with your friends, I would truly appreciate it personally. Number three, I I read every email you send. So Jason at HardwayMBA.com is a guaranteed uh, my eyeballs on your words. So take a minute, uh, shoot me a note. Let me know what you think. I will greatly appreciate it. And you can get more of what you want out of this podcast. So folks, make it a great day. 